0: Love Talk Radio. Ivory Mitchell served more than 30 years behind bars for armed robbery. Now the 55-year-old wants the world to know what happened inside the Texas prison called the Powledge Unit.
1: And then one day I was in the washroom and she came in and closed the door.
0: Mitchell says a female corrections officer forced him to perform sex acts on her in 2009 over a five-month period.
1: She put it to me like this. She said... If you, you open your mouth and say anything, i go to that distance and say, you put your hands on me. You hear me, Mitchell? And I say, yes, ma'am.
0: The Department of Justice says about 216,000 adult and juvenile inmates are sexually abused each year, about half those incidents committed by staff. The Prison Rape Elimination Act of 2003 was meant to protect inmates.
2: When I walked over there, he had his pants off
0: and said,
2: I've decided it's been long enough and- You're going to give me what I want.
0: (laughs) Jan Lastozzi helped fight for the law. She was repeatedly raped by a guard in 1998 while serving time in Michigan for embezzlement.
2: It's a shame that we have
0: to make a law
2: that says don't rape people when they're in prison.
0: But it took nearly a decade for the federal government to establish standards for eliminating prison rape. Most of the states are still implementing requirements such as surveillance cameras, training for corrections officers, and reporting of sexual assault statistics. Only two states, New Hampshire and New Jersey, fully comply. Seven states have opted out, facing a loss of federal funds, including Texas.
3: We get thousands of letters every year from prisoner rape
0: survivors,
4: and about a quarter of those letters are from Texas.
0: Texas state prison officials say requirements like same-gender monitoring of inmates is too costly and too difficult to enforce. With a GOP-controlled Congress, Senator John Cornyn of Texas plans to renew his push for reducing financial penalties for states that don't comply. His rationale? The penalties could harm grant programs for sex assault victims on the outside. But the chairman of the commission that came up with the guidelines says taking the provision out would totally obliterate the incentive states have to comply with the law.
5: And
6: welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and all around the world. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we touch on a subject that is adult only, and that is the alarming rise in the rape and assault, sexual assaults, that are happening behind the wall in America's prisons. This, you do not want to miss this show. Ladies and gentlemen, stand by. AJC Radio kicks off. A very troubling issue and epidemic prison rapes in America's prisons. We're coming right at you in a moment. And there you have it. My name is Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, the entire AJC radio team. And uh, welcome in tonight, folks. How are you doing? Great, great, Mark. All right. And that was all in unison. Sounds like a choir uh, here on AJC Radio. And tonight, folks, we deal, Dennis, we were talking earlier, uh, this is a troubling situation. Tonight we're going to be joined by T.J. Parcell. Uh, he is a filmmaker, author, human rights activist. I'm going to let him tell his story. He had the privilege of talking to him today and some of the things that he has gone through uh, as a juvenile in an adult prison. Is very, very alarming. We're going to hear from him. Also, we're going to hear from Gary York. Uh, he served in the United States Army from 78 to 87 uh, and was honorably discharged at the rank of staff sergeant. Uh, he was involved, has worked in the criminal justice system, dealing and seeing a lot of things. And uh, tonight, this is just right down troubling, Dennis, when you think about uh, no really action being taken. Uh, and the, the, the number, she said, was over 200. And 16,000 inmates a year are sexually assaulted or raped in America's prisons. What does that that say to you, Dennis? That's very alarming. Uh,
7: That tells me that there is no oversight. I mean, our our prisons have no oversight. There's no, uh, uh, you know, retributions. There's there's nothing in place uh, to penalize. Yeah, I mean, we got the, uh, you know, the Prison Rape Elimination Act. That came into play, but it took forever to get there. But if no one's watching, if no one's, you know, holding people accountable, if there's no, uh, you know, you know, nobody's looking for the information, you know, to bring it together and say, okay, we got a serious problem, it's going to continue to happen. You can't keep what's happening in our prisons out of sight, out of mind. It it has to be wide open so everybody can see it. Well,
6: the bottom line is, is that, and and I said this today earlier, uh, is that, the reason it is escalating at the rate that it is, is because the, the prison officials are engaging in these acts. Wow. The prison officials, so they're not going to blow the whistle on inmate 55 if they're doing the same type of acts on inmates exactly. and forcing inmates to do these things. Cliff, when you hear that, my concern is this is, this is someone's mother, their sister, their brother, their father. We cannot allow this type of behavior, Uh, uh, Cliff, which speaks to what President Bush passed when he was in office, which was the PREA Act, uh, which was to stop prison rapes uh, in prison. Uh, And you know what? As long as you have the people in control of power in the prison, the act means nothing because nothing is going to be enforced.
1: Exactly. Exactly, Lamont. I mean, it goes back to uh, what Dennis said with the oversight. But, you know, I thought— uh, you know, we had the, gentle, the uh, sheriff on uh, a couple weeks ago from uh, the A&E special uh, where, you know, they're doing the hidden cameras in, in, uh, in his jail there. And, you know, you look at you say, OK, well, you guys have cameras and you're catching contraband coming in. You're catching this and you're catching that. How about dealing with this issue? And, uh, you know, the, the guards have uh, in, in most prisons in most jails have found the places. Where the cameras don't find. So that's where they make their, uh, you know, quote-unquote transactions. That's where they do their dirt. And it, it's one of those things where you say, okay, who is going to address it? Like Dennis said, you know, the the, uh, the acts come out, um, you know, all the way from back when, when Bush was in office. But how is it being dealt with? How is it being controlled? Is it, uh, like you say, Lamont, is an epidemic. It needs to be, it really, really needs to be uh, caught because everything that stems from it, like we're going to get into later, but everything that stems from it is just, uh, you know, it's one of those things that go back to the culture inside these institutions that allows it to continue to happen.
6: No, without question. And these are things that, uh, again, need to be addressed tonight. We're going to get an in-depth look into the prison system rapes and assaults. And I mean, it's just disgusting. It's over the top when you deal with a place and there is somebody that is put in position to oversee the safety, the security of these prisons. And the, the system has become so corrupt. You got such a mess that you have to clean up. And the mess starts at the top. And if nothing is being done, that is why rapes 216,000 A year Of assault That is uncomprehendable In number That seems Just insane To me
7: And it is If you think About it You know When you're Looking at The inmates and, And you don't You're not Looking at Them as People As American Citizens As human Beings You know, when you start classifying them and you start saying, hey, it's just an inmate, you know, they deserve whatever they get while they're in here. And that's the culture. The culture needs to be changed. We got we have to have oversight and we have to hold people accountable, especially those guards that are supposed to be doing the right thing. And they're not doing it because this is terrible. It's a tragedy. It's
6: a tragedy. Lisa, before we get too deep into this conversation, uh, please, let's let's uh, read the disclaimer to the folks.
4: Yes, we just want to ro- remind everyone that we're not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. you want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend a little bit of your evening with us.
6: Well, thank you for that, Lisa. And folks, again, if you want to get in this conversation tonight, uh, feel free to call in the area code 347-838-8976. That's three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six to be a part of this conversation. We're we'll also before we get into the the very meat of this conversation, we want you to remember the IRP six tonight. Uh, we're going to be dealing with an issue on what you didn't know regarding an act that took place uh, of defiance of really disrespect uh, that happened to Pastor Rose Banks as she was out there uh, at the prison visiting uh, her son. Uh, the last, uh, I believe, uh, Cliff, that was on Sunday, uh, and was mistreated and treated with very a high level of disrespect, uh, very questionable crossing, almost coming up to the line of assault, getting very uh, uh, confrontational, uh, aggressive in in the in the face of this pastor, uh, this mother visiting her son, uh, and really being cordial throughout the entire visit. Uh, and took a few moments to speak to uh, her son-in-law, the the parents of her son-in-law, very polite, very respectful, uh, and was treated as if she was the trash of the prison. Ladies and gentlemen of America, I'll tell you right now, uh, this is unacceptable. And as long as these guards have an attitude of, I'm going to tell you what to do, apparently they've lost sight of one thing. uh, uh, Pastor Rose Banks is not an inmate. She's not an inmate, and no family member up there is an inmate. They are there, and you don't have the right to treat an inmate that way. That's right. Let alone to infringe on the privacy and the rights of a citizen to visit their son in peace and tranquility or their daughter, whoever they're seeing, simply is unacceptable. Uh, We're going to be speaking to that in depth. uh, the I believe – I'll be honest with you, Cliff – Uh, I saw it uh, as I uh, was was uh, brought to up to speed on it, that this was actually a threat, uh, a very threatening act by this officer, uh, by this correctional officer. And uh, honestly, it's borderline criminal, in my opinion. You don't do that. Uh, If I get up in the face of any citizen, whether I'm at a bar, whether I'm in a movie theater, wherever a restaurant, if I get confrontational to the point where I'm in somebody's face, uh, that is that is really very close to the line of breaking the exactly, law.
7: Exactly. You
6: can't threaten me in any way and, and posturing Cliff, even in that way and putting his hands up in her face and all that type of stuff. Uh, That's,
1: that is definitely a threat in my opinion and, and is borderline criminal. Your thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we get into it later on at the end of the program, you know, we'll, uh, we'll deal with everything that happens, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Lamont, you know, you're, you're dealing with assault and all the rules and guidelines that those, uh, uh, guards and officials are supposed to abide by. And we're going to
6: dig into that. And uh, again, my I, I thought and our belief is that uh, this is all part of the continuing saga, if you will. And I can't tell you, it's not a saga of of untruth. This is a saga, a real life experience that is out of control in our prison system. We're going to deal with that later on. Just an introduction. Call your friends. Tell them to call in 347-838-8976 to give your comments on that. And on this show tonight, as we... Uh, deal with some very, very serious issues uh, in regards to uh, the, the prison system. And, and we're going to hear again T.J. Parcell, Parcell is going to be joining us. Gary York is going to be joining us. And we, we anticipate that to be a, a very uh, good, uh, good discussion tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to also remind you to go out to change.org, sign the petition for the RP6, guys. We are asking President Obama to grant clemency to these men uh, in regards to a sincere miscarriage of justice a wrongful conviction that took place in the lives of these men. Who are they? They are Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Uh, These folks have been done a huge injustice uh, and wrongfully convicted. We ask you to go to change.org, search IRP6, and uh, sign the petition as we continue to ask uh, members of society to get involved. We tend to get involved with a lot of things. But it's time that we get involved with the injustices that are happening uh, in this country. Lisa, as we uh, get ready for a huge event in Washington, D.C. next week, uh, we want to definitely let our listeners know about the foster care uh, initiative going up there with Congresswoman Bass. Congressman Tom Arena will be bringing a very special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill dealing with the foster care system and what their agenda and their passions in changing the uh, negative side of foster care. Your thoughts on that, Lisa?
4: Yes, I think it's a very, it's a really positive thing that they're doing for these kids and giving them a sense of feeling special, feeling important when they're not always made to feel that way. I think it's just an awesome thing that they're doing and reaching out to these kids. And these are kids who sometimes don't, who mostly don't have a parent, uh, a biological parent in their lives at all. And they're, they're moving sometimes from home to home and they need some kind of stability. They need some kind of support. They need somebody to stand behind them and say that they're worth something and give them that sense of feeling like they're a part of something bigger than they are. And I think it's just awesome that they're doing that.
6: And and we are grateful, Lisa, in regards to the invitation by Congresswoman Bath
4: and Congressman
6: Reno to invite us. We're privileged and honored to be a part of such a a very, very uh, spectacular event going on there to help the kids of America. Cliff, we have a caller.
1: Yes, we do. We actually have, you know, you were uh, speaking about uh, Pastor Banks and that issue that happened Sunday. She is on the line and wants to address it. Pastor Rose, you are live.
5: Thank you for taking my call. Um, I, I think it's so important that uh, when you go to the prison to visit your loved one that you're not uh, threatened and and try try in some way to intimidate you these Some of these guards, not all of them, a lot of those guards have been very nice to us. They respected us and what have you. This one came down. I don't even know why he came over to be, uh, uh, because he came over from the FCI. I don't know why he came over anyway. Um, anyway, uh, uh, the the, the uh, guard at the desk told said that there was an incident. I went over and spoke to, to my son-in-law, Gary, gave him a hug, and shook his mother's hand. Well, uh while I was there, uh, all of a sudden, uh, his daddy, uh, Gary's daddy, he he beckons for the for the guard to come over. Well, he's got an issue with me anyway. And the guard kept that, so my son-in-law, Clifton, on the show said, you called a guard over for this? And he's sitting there looking like a scared big rabbit. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, there was no need to call a guard. There was no incident, no whatsoever. So... Well, me and Cliff go back and take a seat and all of a sudden here comes here comes this little shorty. I guess he has a a, a small man syndrome there. He's, he wouldn't even to adopt. He comes over there to me and Cliff told us to come out in the outside the room. We came out. This man is totally in a combative mood. I don't have a clue what he was mad with me about. There was no disrespect done to anybody in the prison. The guard at the desk wasn't disrespected. So what are you doing here anyway? And then all of a sudden he, he, he gets me out there. He said, the let me tell you something. I'm thinking, what's your problem? Dave got his hands up in the air. He's standing close enough in my face for me to file an assault charge on him. Now he says right in my face, and he was saying something, I got ready to, to, to address it. And he says to me, I'm talking. And I'm thinking, what, what are you mad about? You know, I could see if somebody done created a scene and been fighting in the prison and something going on. None of that was happening. This man was totally a bit out of shape over me. I was still trying to figure out why. And, and he stood there, and then he pointed his finger in my face. You're not supposed to do that. And then he puts his finger in my face and, tells and goes on talking and telling me, I could terminate your visit, but since you were respectful to the guard here, I'm not going to do it. But if I was respectful to the guard, what do you got your little short sawed here for? So he stands there, and, and, and he's got his finger pointed in my face. I could terminate your visit. You know, these people got an issue with a problem that they want to be the uh, uh, slave master of, of, of the new age, if you will. So there he is, there he is, sitting there talking about, I could terminate it. Well, he said, but I don't have any reason to. So then why are you threatening me? Ever since we've been going to that prison, we have had problem after problem after problem in four years. They dug my family out so bad at that prison uh, constantly over and over again. Until some of the other inmates' families, that were there said, have y'all thought about calling the president of the United States for how they treat your family? Our family, other people could do anything. Our family could do nothing. Everything we did was wrong. If we followed the rules, it was wrong. If we said nothing, it was wrong. They harassed us to no end in that prison. And just recently, have we not been getting a lot of it, but even, I mean, just small things that would write us about it, they would write nobody else about it. They changed rules to fit the family of the RP6, not the other inmates' families. It's, it's phenomenal. But I thought, you got to know. So after I sit back down, After he talked, I said, now you're going to let me speak. So he he, he shuts up like a little mouse, and I go back to my seat and sit down. And all of a sudden I get up, I thought, why why, why do I have to take that?
4: So I go back over, I
5: said, I'm going back up and ask him. I said, sir, could you please tell me why you didn't use any professionalism in, in approaching me? And what did I do that you came to a combative room that if you push me or do anything or say anything, I'm going to terminate your visit? You don't have any reason to terminate my visit. There was no incident. There was no issue. He's a liar. And so he stands there and tells me this, and someone said, I'm an adult just like you are. I said, why don't you just come over and say, Ms. Banks, can I speak to you, uh, you for a minute? I said, we've never given anybody any issues up here. So what made you think you had a a, a real issue on your hand as a result of me? And so they said, I'm not going to talk about it. I said, no, let's talk about it, honey. Let's talk about it. Why did you feel that you had to come up with your fists balled up and your hands stretched out in my face, Saying all these things, I said, why did you have to do that? I said, we could have had a, a, just a conversation, you and I, and if you had something that you wanted to pass over to me, fine. I said, we, we respect rules. I believe in rules. But when you try to intimidate people and try to cut them down for no apparent reason, and there was a, little, a, a guy who was on duty now, another man who approached me was Campbell, and what's the other name, Cliff?
1: Uh, Riker. He,
5: he, was the, he was the officer on duty. I'm trying to understand what this man felt like he had to leave FCI and come over there. They had an officer on duty if there was an issue. So why did you come? I think he just felt like he had to throw his little, little uh, cat, cataplexus muscles, which he didn't have any. So it's a sickening feeling. I thought, I'm looking into this and see, okay, Assault if you come within certain uh, certain uh, feet of a person. If you put your finger in their face, I'm looking into it because I think it was totally disrespectful. It was it was uncalled for. I never did anything that you felt like you need to come over and straight me out on. I was very very much aggravated over his whole demeanor, and I think he he was totally unprofessional. And I think when the families come in to visit their family members. Get off of them. They have enough to deal with as it is that you put their family members in prison, and they were innocent, and they, but they still treated everybody right. We we respect authority in every way. Please, something must be done about it, and I am definitely going to look into it because I think it's terrible. But uh, thank you for taking my call. I don't want to take up all your time, but I appreciate it very much. And I hope I hope Mr. Uh, Campbell Soup. He had to. Uh, what's your name, Campbell? Like the soup, I thought I got you, buddy. Campbell soup, and, and plus the other one. Yeah, we're gonna look into it and see. Okay, what gives you the right to to come over and disrespect a pastor, a mother, without any reason to do it? There wasn't. I, I'd be a different thing if I was fighting back. I had nothing to fight about. So I just wanted, I wanted my voice to be heard on that tonight, and I'm definitely going to look into it. He was totally out of line and totally inexcusable for such, for such conduct. It was no excuse for this stuff. Thank you so much.
6: And thank you. And uh, I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just Calls will be looking into this and filing some form of uh, complaint in regards to the actions, the conduct, if you will, of, of these officers. Uh, uh, totally unacceptable, and I'll tell you all I know about Campbell Soup is that is that it's some of them good, and uh, I guarantee you, Mr. Campbell is not any example. And no disrespect to Campbell's, uh, but I'll tell you right now, uh, we're going to look into it and again hold people accountable uh, for their actions. And you're talking about a mother, a pastor, uh, one of 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 great respect in the community. Uh, you treat uh, anybody like this. Uh, I guarantee you we're going to hold you accountable And and make sure people are aware of that type of conduct Unacceptable uh, Here in the U.S. of A. and anywhere around the world Ladies and gentlemen coming back uh, Momentarily as we get into a discussion Rape in America's prisons What is going on? What epidemic is happening? Over 216,000 Rapes and assaults In America's prisons Happen every year Think of that number
7: Uh, That is
6: uncomprehendable. We're going to get into the discussion. Coming up on the other side of the break, T.J. Parcell, uh, filmmaker, author, human rights activist. Uh, Also joining us a little later in the program is going to be Gary York. Also, he's an author and an ex-prison guard that has his fair share of stories to tell of the horrific conditions in America's prisons. Tonight, AJC Radio visits a very troubling one, topic Rape in America's prisons Who will be held accountable We're coming right back here This is AJC AJC Radio Bringing the message of justice All around the world We'll be right back Do you have a big brother? Well I have a big brother And I'm pretty sure that You and I experienced some of the same things I'll do it just a live. With a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right, that may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impacts families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll-free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land.
5: Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope oh, you're excited cool. to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a a art, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad.
0: If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission.
3: A Louisiana parish claims uh, that... It shouldn't be held liable for the rape of a 14-year-old female inmate uh, because of a correctional officer that raped her when he was 40 years old. The reason why they think that they shouldn't be held liable is because it wasn't a forcible rape. In fact, let me read you what one anonymous employee at this Louisiana parish said. Um, Vickers, Angelo Vickers, that's the name of the guy who raped this 14-year-old, could not have engaged in sexual relations within the walls of the detention center with the victim without cooperation from her. Vickers did not use force, violence, or intimidation when engaging in sexual relations.
8: The fact that they were in a prison, a detention facility, and that he was the guard implies a little bit of coercion.
3: And intimidation.
8: Yeah. It doesn't seem like she was free to go. I, I can't believe anybody would make that argument with yeah. a straight face.
3: Well, they made that argument uh, anonymously. So, uh, of course, they don't want to reveal their identity. They probably don't want to reveal their identity because this is beyond controversial. This is just straight wrong. And it's it's a terrible, terrible thing to say. It's, and it's beyond insulting for rape victims. She's 14 years old. This correctional officer was 40 years old at the time and she was distressed. She had been abused herself by other people in the past. and, and
8: We're not, yeah, We don't need to have this conversation. We don't, we don't.
3: I mean, this is, By the way, there's no age of, 14 is not the age of consent in Louisiana or anywhere else in the country. It, it's, so it's, it's done, this is a clear case.
8: It's wrong and illegal in 18 different ways. And even if she was an adult, the correctional officer can't go in under that situation. He has power over her. You know how we talk about how teachers have power over their students? And then, you know, you can get into the, you know, gray areas. If the student is in college or if the student is 17, but the age of consent is 16. This isn't a gray area. One of them is the guard. The other one is the prisoner. One is 40. The other one's 14. We're not having this conversation. Massively and irreversibly guilty.
6: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. As you just heard there moments ago, the assault of a 14-year-old girl raped by a 40-year-old guard. And excuses have been made, to, which are insane. And that's why the journalists that you hear speaking are so outraged to say, how do you make that argument? Well, it was consensual. There's no such thing as consensual sex in prison by a guard on an inmate
1: and by and with a 14 year old (laughs) wow where is their consent with a 14 year old kid there that that is a child there is no level of consent in that situation so he's he's out of line on uh like the journalist said in 18 different ways probably more you have a child that is rape, child abuse—that that is everything—and then uh, that's that is abuse by a person in a, in a place of authority. How do you? How did anybody um, on either side accept any type of agreement that that was okay?
6: No, it simply is not okay. And I wanted our listeners to hear that. Uh, we'll be playing a couple more of those clips, so we're going to get right now into conversation. Uh, and we are so honored tonight uh, to have uh, author, filmmaker, human rights activist uh, T.J. Parcell joining us tonight. Uh, I had the privilege today of speaking to him, uh, a really just an outstanding gentleman uh, who uh, I was very, very pleased and honored. And, and, and we feel very blessed to have him on this program. T.J., are you there?
9: I am. Good, good evening. Hello, T.J.,
6: and uh, it's okay that uh, all of us call you T.J. versus Mr. Parcell. Which is better for you? Uh, by all means, please call me T.J. Okay, thank you so much for that. And, uh, T.J., is I don't know, uh, again, as we talk today about the growing problem here in America uh, with these in, in America's prisons, uh, I'm going to just, just give you the mic, if you will, uh, figuratively, Uh, and let you talk to America and explain a little bit about what you do. I was so impressed with your uh, courageous advocacy, uh, a true advocate in my opinion, uh, fighting to institute change across this country uh, and in our prisons to protect those who are being assaulted behind a wall, and they are kept silent. Uh, And it's so good to know that you have a voice for these folks. Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself, TJ, to the people and uh, to our listeners, and I give you the floor.
9: Okay, well, thank you so much, Lamont. It's a, a, an honor to be on your show, and I'm, I'd be happy to talk about what has become pretty much my mission. Um, you know, my, I guess my, my qualification is, in, yes, can you can you hear are me? You,
6: yeah, are you on a landline or a cell phone?
9: Uh, unfortunately, I'm on a cell phone. I can move to another area. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, no,
6: no, no. I want to make sure folks don't miss anything you're saying, a little bit of uh, breaking up there, we want to make sure you're in the perfect opportunity that this message not get lost.
9: Okay, Just hold on one second. I'm sorry. We'll oh, no worries. The other end of the house. How's this? Is this it
6: there? Yeah, little, that sounds better. Sounds a little bit better. Um, all right, go ahead. All right. I,
9: I apologize. I don't have a landline, Lamont, so um,
6: yeah, I'm kind of all. at
9: the mercy of my cellular coverage. <laughs>
6: Okay, no worries. We're going, to, we're going to get through it, and uh, please, go ahead.
9: Okay. Um, well, What I started to say is that probably my, my, my uh, first and foremost qualification for the work that I do um, is that I am also a formerly incarcerated individual. I spent uh, from 17 to 21 in an adult prison. Um, I was a troubled kid from a troubled family. I robbed a photo mat uh, with a toy gun. Um, It was considered armed robbery. It was a serious crime, and the judge gave me four and a half to 15 years. Um, So I know much of the work that you do is for um, uh, folks that have been wrongfully convicted, but, uh, you know, I I guess I would say that I was uh, legitimately convicted of a serious crime. Um, It's questionable whether I should have been sent to an adult prison. Um, I was 17 years old. I weighed about 158 pounds. Um, I had no street creds. I had no, no gang affiliation, or I wasn't street smart, and um, I did not. This was in the late 1970s, so I didn't last 24 hours in general population before I was uh, uh, brutally raped, and uh, uh, and then, at the flip of the coin, it was decided which inmate would own me, and for the balance of the time that I was in prison, I was essentially the property of another inmate. Um, I had nowhere to go. I couldn't go to administrators because I didn't think that they would protect me. Um, I was afraid to be a snitch. We all know what happens to snitches in prison. Um, there was um, a, uh, I think a pervasive acceptance that this is just part of prison life. Um, so I got out of prison at 21 and, uh, Uh, Put as much distance Between me and that experience As I possibly could Um, You know and in many ways I was determined to uh, let what happened In prison stay in prison Um, Because of the shame uh, And the stigma around uh, uh, Sexual victimization Especially for males Um, I you know Was never going to tell a soul what happened to me Um, But You know the nature of sexual trauma It stays with you it doesn't go away um, and uh, I, I moved to New York I, I uh, you know tried to start a new life I struggled with alcohol and drugs for a period of time um, you know I suffered all the classic symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder um, and then when I was 27 I got sober and uh, once I got sober that got me into therapy and eventually in therapy I started talking about what went on in prison and uh And the more I uh, started to talk about it and uh, recover from it, um, the more outraged I became at the system that allowed it to happen. And I think that, you know, I mean, even to this day, I hold the system and the administrators and many of the staff just as responsible as the men who raped me. Absolutely. uh, Absolutely. You know, sexual violence is, is uh, a, a horrific crime. Why we allow it to go on inside of our nation's prisons or have allowed it to go on for so long is a complete mystery um, in some ways. And in others, it's not, because I think that, by and large, people don't care what happens to inmates. Um, uh, so... I, I, I I I, generally speaking, I should say, I I don't want to say that all people don't care, but I think generally there's a large proportion of people that don't care. And uh, so uh, much of what my work has been about is trying to put a human face on. So um, uh, I'm the former president of Stop Prisoner Rape. I helped uh, uh, lobby for the Prison Rape Elimination Act, the first ever federal legislation Uh, that was passed in 2003 to address rape in prison. I testified on Capitol Hill. I worked with the uh, uh, Prison Rape Elimination Commission. I helped uh, uh, the U.S. Bureau of Justice Statistics work on survey instruments so that we could quantify uh, uh, the extent of sexual violence in prison. And I helped uh, draft uh, national standards, including uh, the Youthful Offender Uh, standard that now uh, prohibits the placement of inmates under 18 in the same housing units as inmates that are over 18. Awesome.
6: That's awesome, uh, TJ. And I was going back here. For for our listeners, the Prison uh, Rape Elimination Act of 2003 was, again, is the first United States federal law passed dealing with sexual assault of prisoners. And uh, uh, President Bush actually uh, G.W. But uh, passed that uh, particular, assigned uh, that into law. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it's something that is told. And this is very startling to me, uh, T.J., I want to get your thoughts on it. It uh, says in 1974, Carl Weiss and David James Fryer wrote that 46 million Americans would one day be incarcerated. Uh, of that number, they claimed 10 million would be raped.
10: Wow. This is in
6: 1974. And if you're talking about a Nostradamus uh, moment, uh, how do you predict that back? I mean, as far back as that went back, those numbers are startling. And T.J, for you to be a part of something uh, so important to uh, to try to, to implement change in these situations, uh, we great deal of respect for you on that, and we, we definitely. Uh, uh, Appreciate your your efforts with that And I think as you said To uh, to a point that you made uh, Why has it escalated? It's because as I said earlier And as we talked earlier TJ That the guards Those that are are there to oversee the protection Of that act To enforce that act and that law Are involved with the rapes So they're going to look the other way If someone else is getting raped Because you know what They're engaged in the same
9: conduct What are your thoughts on that? There was a study done by uh, uh, a professor out of the University of uh, Chattanooga that looked into the attitudes of corrections officers, and, you know, it was a staggering number. It was like over 24% of the staff that were surveyed admitted or or expressed that they believe that some inmates deserve to be raped or or get what they deserve if they're raped. Um, so I think uh, it's it's a you know it's it's a prevalent uh, feeling. I, I you know some people say you know look you don't want to be raped stay out of prison or you get what you deserve. And you know we live in a civilized society. We have a Fourteenth Amendment. We um, you know we have a you know an amendment against uh, cruel and unusual punishment. And rape is certainly that. This is a human rights crisis. And much of what uh, Priya has been uh, focused on um, has been about changing attitudes and establishing a zero tolerance mandate across all uh, federal state prisons, local jails, uh, uh, immigration detention facilities, juvenile facilities. Um, I think in the last uh, 12, 13, 14 years now, we've, we've made progress, but we've still have a long way to go.
6: No, absolutely. TJ. And to that point, uh, I'll tell you right now that, you know, as I done, did some research on this, uh, I ran into the point that people were mostly concerned about the economics of not enforcing the law and protecting, uh, you know what I mean, ignoring the fact that, our, that men and women are getting raped in prison because of the money that goes into protecting the rights of those inmates saying basically that we need to use that money to a people that on the outside. So what you Yeah.
9: And
6: I'm going to play a clip for you, TJ, I want to get your thoughts on this clip, because it talks about how many states have not even gone there. Let's hear what they have to say, and I'll get your comments in a moment.
3: Okay.
8: We now live in such an insane political environment that there is actually a debate about prison rape in this country. Are you pro-prison rape or anti-prison rape? Okay, now I get a load of how this issue uh, starts in the first place. Back in 2003, when George W. Bush was president, they passed a law that has huge bipartisan support called the Prison Rape Elimination Act. Makes sense, seems like a lot of people would be in favor of that, and they were at the time. By 2012, it's finally uh, ready to be finalized, the requirements are in place, and they go to a point.
6: Okay, and we're going to replay that clip. A little bit of technical difficulties, folks. Our, our technical team says they have it. Uh, my apologies, TJ, on that, and to the people of America. One moment, we're going to play that clip now.
8: We now live in such an insane political environment that there is actually a debate about prison rape in this country. Are you pro-prison rape or anti-prison rape? Okay, now I get a load of how this issue uh, starts in the first place. Back in 2003 when George W. Bush was president, they passed a law that has huge bipartisan support called the Prison Rape Elimination Act. Makes sense. Seems like a lot of people would be in favor of that, and they were at the time. By 2012, it's finally uh, ready to be finalized, the requirements are in place, and they go to apply it. But then, some Republicans wind up disagreeing. Okay, here's a quote. Some Republican governors continue to this day in 2015 to dodge the federal law that aims to prevent rape in U.S. correctional facilities.
1: How is that
8: possible? Now, here's an amazing fact about how much prison rape there is in the country. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, about 200,000 inmates were sexually abused in 2011. And that excludes kids who are particularly at risk for sexual assault when held in adult facilities. And that's the point of this law, to make sure that you bring that number down. And you don't want the kids in the adult facilities. That's part of the law. So that you reduce the number of rapes in prison. 200,000 a year. It's unbelievable. Yet, the Republican governors of these states say no: Arizona, Florida,
6: I- and there you have it, TJ. Just going in, into a little bit of that clip, uh, and
9: unbelievable—they're saying
6: financially.
9: <laughs> you know, a- yeah, one of the one of the uh, the states with the second highest uh, incidence of prisoner rape is the great state of Texas. Um, right, and uh, G- Governor Perry. Uh, was the first to come out and say, you know, we did the math, and uh, the Prison Rape Elimination Act, just to back up for a second, the Prison Rape Elimination Act, among other things, it has a provision that if states fail to comply with the standards, they could lose federal funding. Um, So there's some teeth in it to uh, uh, pressure the states to adopt the standards. Um, Well, what, what Governor Perry did was his team did the math, and they figured that it would be cheaper for them to forego the funding uh, than it would be for them to implement PRIA. So they decided How, not to do it. And at the same time, they dispatched uh, lobbyists to Washington to try to uh, uh, circumvent that provision in PREA uh, so that they don't lose the federal funding. And here's
6: the, here's the problem, TJ.
9: How in the world do you
6: say, we did the math about the rape? Of individuals in this country say, "Well, mathematically, we'd rather suffer the consequent." What is the problem with this country?
1: And see, Lamont, that is the issue that most Americans have with uh, with so many members of Congress, because you you look at you look at a governor here who says, "We did the math, and it's okay for uh, for human beings to be raped uh, rather than us losing funding." Those are the type of things that the American people look and say, what is wrong with our politicians? They, that is nothing about uh, laws for the people, by the people. Absolutely. Ha- that has nothing to do with ensuring the safety and the fortitude of the American people there. That is all about, it's a dollar bill. And for a governor of a state to say, we're basically, in essence, it's going to cost us too much money to make sure that you, as a citizen of this state, well, is, hold is on, safe. Hold on, hold
4: on, hold on, guys, hold on a second. How much money is it going to cost you to fire the rapist who's a guard?
1: Exactly. Well, uh,
6: the the Prea Act is there for one purpose, and that one purpose is to eliminate. That's what it says. The Prison Rape Elimination Act. That's to eliminate it. So, at the end of the day. That's law, but now we have a governor, governor, and and TJ. To your thought on my research, absolutely, Texas is one of the worst places that governor should be impeached. That's what. Yeah, let me
9: let me let me put a human face on it for you because I'll tell you, in 2002, when I testified on Capitol Hill, I stood alongside a a woman, uh, Linda Bruntmeyer. And Linda's 17-year-old son, Rodney Hewlin, went to prison for starting a dumpster on fire in Texas. The kid started a dumpster on fire. That's all he did. And some crazy judge sentenced him to seven years in prison. And And this is not like he started a dumpster that started a fence and a house burned down or that anyone was hurt. This was simply the kid started a dumpster on fire. He was poor. His family wasn't present during sentencing. A crazy judge gave him seven years. Now the kid goes to, uh, to Texas prison,
0: and he is brutally
9: raped. The kid filed seven formal grievances begging for protection, begging to be locked up in solitary confinement. Each time his requests were denied, he hung himself in his jail cell. Wow.
6: Wow. Wow. That's, a, I, that's unbelievable. T.J., t- tell us a little bit more as we talk about and hear those horrifics, and those are bad situations. Um, tell the American people in depth a little bit more about your program and how it is reaching the masses to bring this change about in America.
9: Well, I, I, if I can, I just before we, we move off, and I, I don't want to forget the number in the, in the clip that you mentioned about the 200,000 uh, raped. Uh, that were reported by BJS in 2011. I think the important thing for the American people to bear in mind is that 95% of all prisoners are eventually getting out. They're eventually coming home back into our communities, indelibly marked by what they've experienced inside of prison. So this is all of our responsibility because we're going to have to, we're going to have these traumatized individuals coming back into our communities. And, Many states uh, corrections agencies do not have the funding or the resources to provide the treatment that these folks are going to need. The other thing is, is we have to look at, at the prison culture. And, you know, this, this culture of, of, of rape and hypermasculinity and violence, it's, it, it, it permeates everything. And so it's not just the individuals who are raped. In order to avoid being raped, in in order to uh, fend off the threat of rape, one has to become hyper-masculine, hyper-violent, or at least create the appearance of it. And for the entire time that they're in prison, they need to behave this way, and then when these individuals come out, we suddenly expect them to be normal and to just assimilate, and that is a completely unrealistic expectation. So we have a, a... very broken system that needs to to uh, be addressed on many many levels. So, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, so to answer your your more recent question, I you know I mean I spent I spent several years uh, doing direct advocacy work um, and uh, I worked with the PREA Commission and um, I wrote a book about my experience in prison. Uh, it's a book called Fish: A Memoir of a Boy in a Man's Prison uh, by DeCapo Press. Um, My uh, uh, intent with the book was to put a human face on it. I think that many times when people hear about prison rape or prisoner rape, they either want to shut down and don't want to think about it, or images of who it's happening to in their minds um, is in reality very different than who it's actually happening to. Most of the time – um, the victims are first time nonviolent offenders they're the, the the teenagers that are sent to adult facilities It's the LGBT community whose victimization rates are twelve to fourteen times higher than the rest of the population. the mentally ill the vul- the more vulnerable inmates are the ones that are victimized um, sure. you know my intent with with writing the book was to try to just put a human face on on the issue um, and then most recently i you know i I went to NYU graduate film program and now I'm working on uh, creating a a feature film based on the book with the, uh, the intent of what I'm trying to do is um, put a human face on it to tell a story in a way that people can relate and care and uh, create the ongoing political will to change the system. Because it's easy to talk about it in the abstract. It becomes much harder if you can put a face on it and if they can see it. And, you know, if they they can can sit and watch a film where a young man goes into the system and what he has to experience and the way that the system reacts, and, you know, I think that can change hearts and minds, and that's what we need to change the system, in my opinion.
6: No, I, I agree, uh, TJ, and I, I know you, you do a series of videos. Um, I, I saw the, the what we had talked about earlier the video. I did get a chance to watch that. Uh, remarkably done. Uh, your thoughts, and I know some of the videos that you produce are actually implemented in some prisons as for, for the inmates to actually see uh, basically of how to safeguard against prison rape. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about that?
9: Sure. I I, I did a project for the New York State Department of Corrections, an inmate orientation video, and I worked with uh, about 20 current inmates. And basically um, what we did was we created a 20-minute uh, Uh, a video on sexual safety, what to look out for and how to avoid it. Um, And, you know, inmates are more apt to listen to other inmates than they are to staff. And, uh, you know, the inmates that live in this world are the real experts on on how that world operates. Um, And so we created this video. um, And basically, things have changed, uh, uh, you know, significantly from when I was in prison in the late 1970s Um, and things are, are changing since 2003 with the Priya. Um, but, but I mean, by and large, the kind of rape that goes on in prison is not the stuff that you see in movies where, um, you know, you get knocked over the head and somebody grabs you in the shower and 10 guys jump on that, that, that is extremely rare today. Um, uh, but every guy coming into a male prison, that's in the back of their minds. Because they 've seen it a thousand times in television they 've seen it in movies they 've heard the jokes don't drop the soap it's like even the toughest guys will tell you you know they're, they're it's in their minds right they're they're not going to let it happen to them but you know that that's the number one concern of everybody coming in the door and the predators know this, and the predators use that fear to manipulate and so a lot of the the rape that goes on in prison today is more uh, a process of trickery and uh, manipulation where they groom the guy coming in. They befriend them. They give them things. They make them uh, feel comfortable. And then, then they kind of slip up next to him and say, look, the only reason nothing's happened to you is because I've been looking out for you. And so now you need to return that favor. You owe me in effect. Um, Sure. So with the, uh, the inmate orientation project, I, I think the the predators in New York state are going to be pretty, uh, uh, pretty annoyed at us because we essentially exposed every one of their techniques. Um, so every incoming prisoner in the state of New York, uh, as part of their orientation process sit, has to sit down and watch these videos. And, uh, so, you know, the predators have to go back to the drawing board and come up with some new game because we, we've essentially exposed it. And, uh, But I think more importantly, what we were doing with that project was wanting to, uh, have an impact on the culture within the prison among the inmates themselves. Um, you know, there's, uh, many inmates in prison, male and female have suffered sexual abuse as children. And, uh, uh, it's sort of an interesting phenomenon in prison. Um, child molesters are the most hated single demographic there, um, Rapists are not quite as bad as child molesters, but there certainly is. There's a disrespect for rapists in prison. At least that was my experience when I was there. Hmm. Um, Yet, for some reason, we've, we've tolerated rape going on inside the walls. And when you pose that question to inmates, why is it that we do that? Oftentimes, they kind of look at each other and they look and they go, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know why. Why do we do that? And so much of what we were trying to do with this New York state project was say, guys, what if we could come together and, and come to an agreement that, uh, we, we make an exception to this wall of silence. We make an exception to this snitching rule that when it comes to sexual safety and sexual violence, that's not snitching. And, and essentially the inmates themselves make that argument in the video. Um, and so I think, you know, it's going to take a little time to see if it works, um, but I think we've planted a, enough seeds, um, and we're trying to create an atmosphere where an inmate who is feeling vulnerable, who is, being, who is perhaps being pressured, will feel confident and safe enough to come forward and ask for help.
6: No, I think that's, a, I think that's absolutely amazing, uh, that, that, and I believe, you, I believe that to be the case, uh, TJ, when you do go in, and it hasn't changed. Uh, I share with you today. I was wrongfully convicted. Uh, did seven years. Uh, the system is the same. The grooming process is the same. Uh, they prey upon the weak. That is what they do. And there was a video. I don't know if you're familiar with this video. There was a video that we watched. Uh, again, prior to my wrongful conviction in getting into the prison system, uh, they made us watch in regards to the candy on the on the pillow. Uh, their, oh. posi- their position. Their I position. Mean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh you I know no, not
9: only do I know what you're talking about, I, I, I sadly have to say I, I helped work on that. Um did you? Uh, but I didn't direct it and I didn't write it. I was just uh No 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 I was and just I, the guy that did, Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> well, I know the video. And it's been deri- it, 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 it it the inmates often will refer to it as the candy bar video and they didn't take the it business. very seriously.
6: That, yeah, it was more, uh, but when you find out, the point was is that, and it goes to your point, T.J., when you say, you know, they expect you, that they've protected you, they've groomed you, they, they don't even come in and offer you commissary, hey, you need some food, you come on in, we'll take you in, but ultimately, these are predators, and as you say, right. it is to do one thing in mind, to groom you and get you to feel like if you don't, they're going to kill you in here. Oh, they're going to do this, especially those with sex, sex cases, and they, you know, you, they, they call it paying rent these days. You're going to have to pay rent, and that's not only commissary, but any other deranged way that these inmates want to do uh, what they're doing. And that's why I think sometimes it goes undetected, uh, because people don't come out and say, hey, this happened to me, as you said, that the culture in prison is the snitching issue. Uh, and I think I think your point is well made on that. So uh, definitely. Well, well, and
9: you're right. And it, it, I, listen, it, there's and there's a number of guys that I think don't understand uh, that that is rape. If they're coerced and tricked, that, too, is rape. Um, yeah, it is. They, they, you know, there's there's a shame around the victim, the sexual victimization, of course. But there's also a shame around allowing themselves to get tricked and allowing themselves like they blame themselves for putting themselves in that situation. You know, why? why I mean, I, I can tell you that I did this, you know, in uh, in when I was 17. The, what happened was the guys asked me if I drank. And, uh, you know, I was Irish. Of course I drank. And uh, they invited me to drink with them. And what I didn't know was they were going to spike my they, they spiked my drink with you a heavy sedative. They gave the mentally ill prisoners. And then, boom, next thing you know, I was in a dormitory and uh, was being raped and. And believe me, the next day when I walked the yard, I blamed myself. I thought, how could I be so stupid? How could I not see it? You know, how could I be so naive? Well, you know, I was a 17-year-old kid. Um, Right. It it, it, it wasn't my fault.
6: No, it absolutely wasn't your fault, T.J. Uh, I think it's it's a – what I say to you, T.J., it takes a lot of courage to come out and to express this. And I think you, somebody has to be that voice, as you said, to put a face. You know, like you said, the stereotype and the perception of prisoners is that, well, if you're in prison, you deserve what's going on. If something happens to you, but when they see a young man uh, as yourself, someone who has become successful, someone who's become an advocate, uh, someone who is concerned about what's going on, uh, I think it's true, uh, Dennis, that, that the face being put to it. Makes it brings a reality to it that makes you shiver that uh-uh. this happened. What are your thoughts?
7: Hey, I truly have to commend you, uh, TJ. I tell you, uh, I listened to you talk, and, and it, it, it really touched me because it's, it's so true. First of all, we, we, have to, we have to put a face on it because justice have already put a face on it, and that face is not true. You know, just because someone goes to prison does not mean that they deserve to be raped or deserve to be beat up, deserve to be killed, because, you know, we got people dying in prison. But I tell you, until more people, uh, uh, until we get more advocates, until we get America to start, we got to look into our prisons. I mean, out of sight, out of mind, nothing's going to change. If, if we 're not looking at it if if we don't wait if we don't do something until if we wait to do something when it finally hits home, that's too late not now too late. that we're hearing we're hearing the stories we're we we're, we're seeing that there's a lot of problems in our justice system in our prisons. now is the time to jump on board for any law or try to push a law. To make up, make the changes in our prison system. And again, I have to commend you because of what you're doing. Believe it or not, that step—look how much has came about just from you saying, "Hey, I need to speak out. I need—I need, I need to let some other people know what's going on." And and again, I just commend you. Thoughts on that, TJ?
9: Um, well, thank you. I I, I would say that uh, in many ways, I've, I've not had a choice. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've spent a lifetime uh, trying to process and deal with the uh, the aftermath of what went on in those uh, four years I was in prison. And uh, uh, I have tried every form of therapy uh, you could think of. Um, I had EMDR and psychotherapy and psychodrama and psychoanalysis and uh, gestalt. And, um, and, and all of those things were very helpful. But I think that in the end, it's my advocacy work has been the way that I've been able to come to terms with it. So, you know, a lot of my uh, my advocacy work is is really just channeling my outrage at, at a uh, at a very broken system.
11: Um, no. And it's
9: it's how I can I I can deal with it on a day to day basis.
6: No, absolutely, and uh, those are things that are noted. And I, I note here, uh, T.J., uh, you, you had referenced it earlier at, back in 2003. Uh, testified on Capitol Hill with Linda Bruntmeyer, uh, the mother from Texas whose 17-year-old son was incarcerated after setting a trash bin on fire uh, while he was in prison. He was raped repeatedly, and that's the gentleman you said. He later hanged himself inside his cell, and it says here that you felt a special bond with Linda because you, too, had been raped in prison at 17. TJ, when you think about what you've gone through – it there, It brings an extra level or layer of fire, if you will, to fight for justice and to change the system as it is. Would you agree
9: with that? I would absolutely agree with that i you know listen, Linda Brunmeyer could have very well been my mother there um, because when I was in prison, believe me, I had thought about it a couple of times. I just didn't have the courage to do it um, and uh, you know I mean, I ask you i mean it would have been easy for you once you were exonerated, and released to you know, to just go on with your life and put it behind you. But uh, you haven't. Um, you know, for some of us, I think that when we experience injustice on, on such a deeply profound level, there is a sense of responsibility, um, you know, and, and that's what I feel. I just feel I feel a, a, an obligation and a responsibility to, uh, you know, the kids and the young men and women that uh, uh, are being victimized inside of our prisons.
6: No, absolutely, TJ, and, and uh, wow, I, I feel like me and you are bonded definitely for the in, injustice that we've gone through uh, as men, and uh, I want to tell you right now, you have a partner uh, here at AJC Radio, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, a support group, if you will, that will help you uh, and fight this war together, you know, it takes all of us coming together, Exactly. a lot of people do not have the courage to say what you say, and as you say, we feel a sense of an obligation that be- if it just yeah. has happened to me, if it happened to you, uh, it's happening to a lot of people across this country. TJ, we're going to come right back, give you a closing comments, and we appreciate you joining us tonight. Can you come back on the other side of the break? I want you definitely to ha- uh, give the information to the people, how they can get a hold of you, uh, and we're going to uh, definitely uh, have you say some closing thoughts on this very important issue. Would that be okay?
9: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be
6: happy to. Okay, thank you, TJ. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you want to call in and comment on this situation that is facing, I believe, which is a crisis in America, prison rape uh, happening at an alarming rate. When you're talking about hundreds of thousands of rape victims a year and no one is honestly being held accountable, we have a serious problem that we need to discuss. Tonight, we've been honored TJ Parcell. A gentleman who has stepped outside the comfort zone, if you will, to share his story and his passion and his vision to institute change. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio as we continue to discuss this very, very troubling issue. We'll be right back in a
11: moment. I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a sister,
2: a registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military.
0: I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church.
2: And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge,
0: exposed to violence,
2: witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement,
3: unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten,
5: sentenced as an adult at age 17,
3: sentenced as an adult at age 16,
8: sentenced as an adult at age 15, we felt lost,
3: isolated, ostracized,
8: misjudged,
5: terrified.
2: And in the absence of all hope, my child took his
4: own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know
10: I'm not alone, and neither are you.
3: Now we have a voice. Now
2: we, we have, have power.
7: power. In numbers. In
2: numbers. In
7: numbers we can, we can make a difference.
2: There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% that is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call one It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today.
3: And rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice.
1: And we need your help. Because
3: I'm 16, I can't drive at night.
5: Because I'm 16... I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night.
0: Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents.
5: Because
3: I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent.
0: At 16,
10: I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone.
3: Because I'm 16, I can't buy a
5: lottery ticket. I can't vote.
0: I can't drink.
5: I can't smoke.
0: I can't join the military.
5: Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be
3: tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record.
5: If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I can participate in this video.
0: But I can go
10: to an adult prison.
5: But I can the
8: Rikers Island.
10: But I can be sent to Attica.
8: My name is Michael Corriero. I've been judged for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation. Tries children as young as 16 as adults. We
10: change
4: that. Last week,
10: my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could
3: sentence me to an adult prison.
0: We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York.
6: Thank you uh, for joining us tonight, and uh, tonight AJC Radio visits a topic, prison rape in America's prisons, and I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, this is something that is troubling. Tonight we've been joined by T.J. Parcell. Uh, T.J., are you with us? Uh, One moment, T.J., are you with us?
9: I am uh, with you. Can you hear me?
6: I can hear you. Thank you so much. Did you recognize that yes. audio? <laughs> TJ?
9: Yes.
6: Did you recognize that I, audio?
9: Uh, because I'm 16 campaign, you're talking about. Yep. Yes. Uh, yes, I, I actually uh, directed that um, for the uh, New York Center for Juvenile Justice. So it made me smile when I heard it. Um, okay. uh, and I'm well, delighted that you guys are airing it.
6: Yeah, we wanted to air that. And I said, hey, let's, you know, look. You're doing some things out there, TJ, and and uh, this is this is important, and I wanted you to hear that, uh, TJ. I, I can't tell you what a privilege it is to have had you on this program tonight. Uh, as I talked to you earlier today, I'm going to be contacting you tomorrow. Uh, we'll have a conversation uh, because we're going to get your message out even further than what it is. Uh, we'll do everything within our power on AJC Radio and adjust calls to deliver that message uh, to the masses, that people may know and understand. Uh, the advocacy work that you do to make a difference in this nation. Um, tell the folks how they can get a hold of you, TJ, if they're interested. Uh, I know your book is out there. Go ahead and, and, and tell the folks how they can reach you and if they need further information to get uh, in touch with
9: you. Okay, sure. Um, uh, well, you can get my book from Amazon. It's Fish, A Memoir of a Boy in a Man's Prison by TJ Parcell. Um uh, and you can also go to my website, tjparcell, T-A-R-S Sam, E-L-L, at yahoo.com. Um, actually, I'm sorry, tjparcell um, at yahoo.com is my email if you want to send me an email, by all means. Uh, but Tjparcel.com is my website.
6: Well, there we go. Uh, we'll also post some information, TJ, uh, on our website in regards to how the folks can get a hold of you. Uh, we salute you for your service. Uh, that you are giving to America and to, again, institute change across a very serious issue uh, that needs to be talked about. These conversations have to happen uh, no matter how uncomfortable uh, they might be. And I salute your courage uh, and your strength and your perseverance uh, to make it and go against all odds and and come and do what you're doing right now. Uh, It should be applauded. And we applaud you here at AJC Radio.
9: Well, thank you so much for having me on your show, Lamont. I appreciate it a great deal. Um, okay. You had mentioned the 2.4 million prisoners in the United States. Um, the BJS numbers actually 13 million people process through the criminal justice system every year. So that 2.4 million is just a snapshot in time uh, of the, the men and women who are held in our jails and our prisons and juvenile facilities. But if you think about 13 million people going through that system every year. It's hard to have those kinds of numbers uh, going through our system without it impacting somebody we know, a neighbor's kid, a cousin, a relative. um, And we have a responsibility to these people.
6: No, absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, uh, T.J., we're going to be in touch. Thank you so very much for your work. You're very Uh, welcome. And we're going to work together uh, in the future, and I look forward to talking to you soon, okay?
9: Okay, thank you so much. Thanks again for having me on your show.
6: Okay, TJ, take care. Okay, folks, uh, there you have it. Uh, I'm going to get some quick thoughts from our host here uh, on TJ. Uh, I'm I'm somewhat speechless. Uh, It it takes courage on a whole other level to do what he's doing after what he has gone through. Uh, Cliff, when you hear him openly share his story, share his tragedy,
1: his horror,
6: what does that tell you about the man who T.J. is?
1: Well, it uh, it really makes you understand that uh, this is not just something that he's doing uh, for attention, for publicity, or anything like that. I mean, this is personal to him, and he's he's taken his experience his experience and and really has brought it to the masses to to show that you know it, it didn't just happen to him this is a widespread ab- uh, abuse a widespread issue an epidemic in the uh, in the american prison system and and he uses his experience and like you said you know the his his level of courage to speak out to openly explain what happened to him what he went through And to deal with it and and to present it to the entire world and go go in front of, uh, you know, politicians in front of uh, government and say, look, this happened to me and I need to do everything that I can to ensure that it doesn't happen uh, to anyone else. And with his PSA, because I'm 16, I think that's where it starts. I mean, you have you have people who are who are juveniles who are being put in uh, adult prisons. They don't stand a chance. A 17-year-old boy, like he said, uh, when he went in, he had no street cred, no street experience. Did something very foolish, and end up paying the ultimate price for it. But uh, that's where it begins, you know. Is is that these are kids you cannot house them with adults and expect them uh, to survive on any level.
6: Well, and uh, Dennis, your thoughts uh, on that, uh, TJ? Uh, a great deal of respect for the man that is fighting for justice, fighting. And what, And I, let me say this, and Dennis, I'll come to you. What troubles me more than anything, rape is a horrific act that many times people are never, ever the same from. These are lifetime scars. When we as a nation sit back and refuse to address the corruption in our prison system with our guards, with our wardens, With our AWs and our captains and all that's going on, when we sit idly back, do you know the fact of that 17-year-old boy who hung himself? He hung himself because he couldn't deal with it anymore. Someone must answer for that. How do we sit back in good conscience as a nation and let that happen? We need TJ out there making his case. Dennis, your thoughts?
7: Lamont, I truly agree. I mean, uh, the advocacy, the, 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 the willingness to fight uh, a, a corrupt, we, we got to be real, corrupt justice system, a system that has no uh, accountability, no, no mechanisms in place to penalize uh, these culprits, these, these uh, abusers. Uh, and, and until we, uh, until we as America Again, I'll say this over and over again, until we stop waiting to voice our discontent, to voice our disconcern with with what's happening in our prisons and our justice system, we're going to continue to hear stories like this. But I tell you, I truly, again, I have to commend T.J., I mean, awesome work, and hopefully there's others that heard this show tonight that will, you know, jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, I'm going with you. But it's awesome. I truly well, appreciate it. We, we appreciate
6: that. Um, Lisa, and we're getting ready to get Gary York on the line. He he decided to join us tonight. Uh, he's been with us before, has a huge amount of information to share. Uh, Gary, uh, we're going to be coming right to you. Lisa, your closing comments on TJ.
4: Well, uh, I think listening to his story and the things that he had to say, it's sad, It's very saddening to know that that the things that people care about in this country, they don't care – How do you not care about these things happening to people? They don't stop becoming humans when they go to prison. They don't become animals because they were put in prison. When you're put in prison because you've broken the law, you've done something that you shouldn't have done, being there is punishment enough. I think every effort should be taken to ensure that these people are not uh, treated any any worse than what they should be. I mean, just being there. That is sure. the that is the that is the punishment. They don't need anything on top of that, and it should be something that's fought for. It should be something that everyone is concerned about.
6: Oh, absolutely. And Lisa couldn't could not have been said any better. Uh, I believe we all agree uh, there's a problem right now. Uh, Gary York is going to be joining us. Uh, outstanding gentleman uh, has definitely a lot to say, um, and we want to actually give him an opportunity uh, to tell his thoughts, to come in and to share. Uh, uh his position gary are you there
10: yes sir i am how are you doing
6: uh doing well gary thank you so much for taking uh, time with us we apologize for the delay uh i'm sure you've heard what this discussion has been about uh prison rights yes. in america prisons uh you are a former uh, uh ceo as they call them uh you've seen yes, some things tell the folks i'm gonna give you the carpet tell the folks a little bit uh about what you've seen and your thoughts on the prison rape epidemic in this country right now.
10: Yes, sir. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me back. And yes, you're correct. I was a correctional officer. I've been a probation officer as well. And for 12 years, I, I was a senior prison inspector in the state of Florida. And my job was to conduct internal affairs investigations and Unfortunately, I do want to say one thing. There are a lot of good, hardworking, honest officers out there who will step in and prevent a rape if they see it. But I have also, as, as you know from my book, uh, I heard you mention several things that occur in the prison system, and I have true stories of all those things in my book, Corruption Behind Bars. So although we have a great number of honest officers, we do have corrupt officers— I wrote the book uh, called Corruption Behind Bars because I've been dedicated my last uh, four years to trying to stop prison corruption, to trying to help clean up the system somehow. And on the topic you're talking about tonight, I I have sat down with inmates Who were younger. Now, I did adult prisons, but I've sat down with 18, 19 year old boys, 20, 21, who had been raped by uh, another inmate, a male inmate. So I've had to interview them as rape victims, but I'm dealing with male on male. And I've had to uh, get them to the hospital. I've had to have the hospital do rape kits on them. And I've had to hear them tell me what happened to them. And it's pretty sad to sit there and listen to these young men tell you how they were raped in a prison cell. I've also had to sit on, a, on another type case where I've had to read Miranda warnings to a correctional officer who sexually assaulted an inmate. So I've done both sides, inmate on inmate and correctional officer on inmate, as we call it.
6: Wow. And there is- there,
10: it's not pretty.
6: Well, no, not at all. Uh, Gary, when you observe these men as they were telling their story, t- please paint a picture if you, c- if you can, the best way you can, yeah. of the, uh, I, would, I would say the despair or the hopelessness and the stripping of oneself to endure such aura. How evident was that when they talked to you?
10: Well, I would, I would be in a room with a desk, one chair on one side and myself on the other, and I would have to put my tape recorder on, which that that's nerve-wracking to someone who's a rape victim. But our policy was we needed a tape statement because, you know, we're trying to get this thing to court and get somebody prosecuted for, for uh, raping uh, an inmate, and I need everything on tape. But the, the officers will bring the young man in, and he'll sit down, and you can just see that everything has been taken out of him, like the life has been sucked out of this person. Some are shaking, some are crying, and some are just sitting there with a blank stare. And I can't let them know uh, what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I am talking to them nice. You know, you can't be rude. You can't be, sit down, tell me what's going on. No, you, you have to be gentle. You have to deal with a rape victim, um, like a person with mental illness, you don't go in in an attacking manner. They're the victim. You're there to right. try to help them. And I, I would think to myself, I sure do. F- I really feel sorry for this guy. Of course, I don't tell him that. But in my mind, I'm sitting across the table thinking how bad I feel for this person. And they're scared, number one, to even tell you what happened.
5: Right. They're
10: scared to tell you the story. And you probably know what I'm getting at. They're, they're in fear right. of retaliation.
5: Absolutely. From other
10: inmates, and they're afraid that if they tell me what happened, there's going to be worse punishment for them when they go back on the compound. Now, what I would do is interview them, get them their medical attention and, and the rape kit, and then interview them. And I would make sure that they would never be back in the same prison with the inmates that they allege raped them. I would transfer them from the prison. And I would not leave the prison until I saw the transport van leaving the sallyport, uh, taking the inmate away from the prison, and then I would go home. Now, that wasn't mandatory. I didn't have to stay there.
4: But I didn't want to
10: leave the prison without knowing that inmate was on, on the way to another prison. And as they drove off, I would still be worried, and here's why. Okay, you're going to another prison. You're getting away from these uh, suspects who assaulted you here but you're just going to another prison with inmates, and some of these young men weren't the strongest. You know, they had the, uh, a smaller build, maybe blonde hair and blue eyes, um, and I knew when they go to the next prison there's gonna be a problem. Now, we would have them put in protective custody, but you still worry that when they get to the next prison, they may be assaulted again and again, so it's a never-ending problem. and. As a prison inspector, I tried to do everything I could. I sent it to the state attorney. I would always beg them to prosecute. I would send them away and try to keep them protected. But you know, Florida has 56 prisons, and it's a large state. But you know how small the prison world is? Word gets around, and and it's really hard for some of these victims to stay away from being sexually assaulted.
6: Uh, uh, I am familiar with the... Uh, And Gary, I don't know if you knew, uh, I was wrongfully convicted here in the state of Colorado. Uh, So, what you're talking about, I understand because, uh, you know, gossip, snitch jackets, they call it. Right. Go go from yard to yard, they go from prison to prison. And, like you said,
10: prison to prison. Right.
6: Prison to prison, it's amazing how stuff travels. You get on the yard, people know that's, that's so and so from. Prison so-and-so. I That's just, right. I got
10: work and he just Someone's going to from... notice you.
6: Yeah, yeah. And here's the tragedy, Gary, and I want your thoughts on it. The trauma that they go through uh, when they're raped, to go into another prison, I understand what the steps you took were to – you went beyond the call that you were even supposed to go because you felt there was, a, it, there was a connection, if you will, when you saw the pain, the trauma, the horror of these young men. That's not something you shake in a week or in a month or well, two months when you, get, when you go to another prison, right?
10: Well, and, and I'm human, and I have five grown children now. But I could not imagine having one of my children in there and something like that happen to them. Because, you know, this, these people that I interviewed, these young men, they all had a mom and dad somewhere, probably brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. And you know how bad that must be on the family, how that mm. breaks their heart and the pain and agony, not just for the inmate, but the family is suffering badly.
6: Yeah, because they're worried about their loved one uh, suffering that. That is so horrific to me. And, I, and my point being made, when they go to that other prison, that trauma, that despair, that look that you saw in that office when you interviewed them, sometimes appears well, when they arrive at another prison. Well, you, the,
10: the, you can see the look of, uh-oh, I would also tell them uh, I want to keep a watch on them for the first few days. Some of them you can see I, it's like, uh-oh, in my mind I'm thinking I think he's giving up. I'm a worried about a suicide situation. So I would say I'd like this. I want you not like. I, was, I would tell them we want to put them on suicide watch for at least five days until we get some doctor uh, or psychologist to give us a report because these guys look like they're ready to give up.
6: Right. That's um, that's something. That's something. Gary, what keeps you I mean, you know, they say that police officers say that work in the uh, uh, sexual crime victims unit or whatever, that have to see this from a day to day basis. Gary, how how even now with what you've seen, how are you able to cope and and prioritize and keep the balance of your own sanity after seeing so much? Right. do you do
10: right and i did 12 years now not just sexual crimes but i've seen inmate on inmate homicide and i also worked a case where 10 officers were indicted because they had beaten an inmate to death and and i had to do that investigation so i haven't just seen rapes i've seen deaths at the hands of other inmates and i've seen death of an inmate at the hands of officers so um I guess my personality tells me I'm at work, I'm at work, and when I come home, let's don't take it to the family. Let's don't, I, don't, I try to shut it off. Even though I'm not telling the family the stories, I I'm maybe laying in bed at night, and it's still traveling through my mind. Uh, but I just have to get up the next day, be strong, and go out and, and take care of business.
6: Oh, absolutely. And, uh, Gary, let me say to you, first off, uh, thank you for your service and, and your efforts to to clean up a situation that's horribly bad. Uh, but also, thank you for your service. See here that you served in the United States Army from 1978 yeah. 1987. Uh, we salute yeah. you as a, a veteran. Thank you for your service to this country.
10: Well, thank you, and I believe you or some of the folks on the show have also been in the military, and I thank you.
6: Yeah, and that's Dennis. He's grinning from ear to ear. Soldiers are bonded <laughs> uh,
10: for sure. <laughs>
6: Uh, Dennis, you want to talk
7: Gary? No, that's true though. You know, hey, we do appreciate your services. Uh I think everybody should give our country a little time, you know. And that you know, that way you, you can figure out, you know, what it's all about. But again, I, I thank you for what you're doing here though. I mean this is awesome. Uh you, you wrote a book, Corruption Behind Bars. I mean you you stepped out, you know, of the norm and said, Hey, uh not everybody's corrupted, but we do have some corruption, so we need to address that and we appreciate you doing that,
10: Well, I was um, told when I wrote the book, uh, and it came out in 2013 to go hide somewhere, but <laughs> actually, those folks that are in the book never have uh, attempted to bother me, and uh, I was real proud when a lot of the honest, hard-working officers thanked me for writing the book because they said we need you know we have to expose political corruption we've yeah. got to get the corrupt out of our prisons because the honest officers are in danger. But let's don't just talk about the officers. You know, when there's corrupt officers in a the prison, they endanger the inmates and the honest officers. They place everyone in danger.
6: Absolutely. And we yeah.
10: have to get out of there. They they damage the reputation. They risk people's lives. And we spend $2.6 trillion a year from what I've found on uh, – government and taxpayers' money fighting corruption, and, and we still haven't
6: taken care of it. Well, that's a, that's definitely a good point. What uh, uh, w- makes you wonder where the money's going? Uh, is it going to the fight? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, where, uh, what needs to be done? Gary, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, tell the folks how they get a hold of you, uh, but I have a question for you before we give you yes. some closing uh, comments here. Um As you look at the criminal justice system today uh, and with your experience and what you have seen, uh, how big or how much in trouble are we?
4: Well,
10: darn. You know, know, I am a correctional officer, and I want to say great things about our profession. We have a lot of professionals. It is a professional profession that we work. But I wrote the book in 2003 about the Florida Corruption. And here we are in 20 I mean, not 2013, I'm sorry in 2013, the book came out about the corruption in Florida prisons. Now we're in 2016, three years later, and we have a female prison in, uh, called Lowell Correctional Institution, where they had to hire 100 new officers, fire the warden, fire the assistant warden for male officers sexually assaulting female inmates. Wow. So here I am thinking, I'm trying to fight the fight, but right. apparently we're right where I was three years ago.
6: Yeah. No, without question. Uh, we go- I'll tell you what, Gary, we're going to keep fighting the fight here at AJC and it just calls. Uh, I'm going to be contacting you offline of how to get the message out. Hopefully we can work together as a unit to get this message out. I think the more we talk to communities, the the better off we are going to be. I think a lot of the American people are dealing with what they're dealing with because of a lack of information. They sincerely don't right. know, and I think that is the that's purpose true. of the system. Would you agree with that?
10: That's true. See, a lot of people don't know, and when they don't know, it's just like I don't see it, I don't know about it, so I go on with my life, and, and that's what's happening. Now, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. This is a possibility. I I was approached today by a uh, company out of Miami that films documentaries. They want to talk to me about a documentary on these true prison crime stories. Now, I thought, wow, if that could happen, I'm not saying it will, if that could happen, that's one way to get the word out. So I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, that maybe we can do something on that.
6: No, absolutely, Gary. And uh, look, our thoughts are going to be with you. Uh, Please keep us informed of what's happening. We're going to stay in touch. Uh, Tell the folks, Gary, how they can get a hold of you. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this gentleman, Mr. Gary York, doing some things, has seen some things. We're going to just recommend you go out and get his book, Corruption Behind Bars and Inside the Inner Circle. These are books that are informative. You need to pick them up. Gary York is doing some things. Gary, how can America get a hold of you?
10: Yes, sir. They can get my books on Amazon.com or my personal website, CorruptionBehindBars.com. I sell the books cheaper than Amazon, and I mail them to you signed by me. And that's two ways to get the book, CorruptionBehindBars.com and uh, Amazon. And on CorruptionBehindBars.com, if you wanted to ask me anything, you can leave me a message on my own personal website.
6: Okay, and that's good to know. Gary, uh, we salute you here at AJC Radio. Uh, We consider you a friend. We consider you a family. And uh, we'll continue to search for justice, and we'll definitely get behind you in what you're doing. And we appreciate you supporting AJC uh, as we we continue to seek justice around this country. Thank you so much for joining us tonight.
10: Thank you, Dennis, Lisa, and Cliff, and anybody else that I missed over there. Okay, Thanks, you to, Gary. Thanks, All right, Gary. Thank you, Take Gary.
6: care. We'll be in touch.
10: Thanks, sir. Take care, and thank you for having me. And you're welcome, sir.
6: Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America. Gary York, Arthur, ex-prison guard, uh, informative information about our nation's prisons. We're coming right back on the other side of this break. You know what's coming up, what you didn't know, what you continue not to know about the IRP6 case. We're going to be addressing still uh, Pastor Rose Banks and her, I believe, criminal uh, assault that happened with her with this guard at the uh, prison in Florence, Colorado. Was treated horribly bad. Uh, you thought we were through. We're just getting started here on AJC Radio as we continue the R.P. 6 story. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere.
11: The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So, 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail. About half of one percent. Less than one percent. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16 percent of America, but 24 percent of the American prison population. Less than one in a hundred Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic, as poor black communities lack so many of their members but what can be done the causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal but there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself in the ways police officers enforce laws in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted and more in many cases it is not overt racism by individual actors Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo.
6: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. If you are wondering, man, what is going on at AJC Radio, because I'll tell you right now, we continue to tackle, to attack the issues that people don't really want to talk about. Well, AJC Radio does not meet that criteria. Until we bring attention to corruption in this country, people will continue to go unaccountable, they will continue to break the law. They will continue to violate the rights of, it, of America and its citizens. And we're not going to tolerate that here on AJC Radio as we will continue to attack uh, the corruption going on in this country. We want to take a few moments to thank Gary York uh, for joining us tonight. His insight is amazing. Uh, author, filmmaker T.J. Parcell, uh, his insight on the epidemic of prison rape in America uh, I'll tell you, Dennis, these are, are men that are doing some things that's really making a difference. We wanted, we're definitely thankful that they joined us tonight. Dennis, your closing thoughts on that?
7: Oh, awesome. I truly enjoyed both of them. I mean, uh, they, they got, they, they, both of them are pushing some issues that are, are very important, and I, I, I truly enjoyed it.
6: No, without question. And uh, right now, folks, uh, a few things going on of injustice of our own that we know about that we're dealing with here. We're getting ready to deal with Pastor Rose Banks. Uh, a mother really viciously spoken to, disrespect, and the highest level of unprofessionalism that we've seen in a little while there at Florence, Colorado. We're going to get into that again, as you, we've heard from Pastor Banks earlier discussing the insult of what they did to her. We're going to deal with that and address that issue right now, what you didn't know about the RP6. People think that business is a game, and what we have learned is that business actually is war.
5: When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still
7: strange. It just absolutely
5: makes no sense. Is this really real? Is
4: this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden, your whole life is ripped apart.
6: What we have learned is that the rp 6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being
5: raided.
2: Um, uh, it became very clear that the court appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it, it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution we constantly hear in the news every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted and this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted you would think the media would jump all over it
5: justice is not fair anymore they say justice is supposed to be blind it's not blind it's not blind they pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to.
6: is this happening in America The American dream of the rp 6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers. As justice lays idle in the streets of America, we look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org. Sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we stand at the crossroads of decision. As do we address? Do we attack? Do we aggressively? Speak to the mistreatment and the write down disrespect of the guards that occupy America's prisons. Namely, Florence, Colorado, Officer Campbell, and he's definitely not the soup, disrespected Pastor Rose Banks in a very distasteful way, to put it politely. Anything in regard to the RP6? Who are these men? David Banks. Dave Apollo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Pastor Rose Banks decided to go see her son, and we addressed this earlier, we're going to address it again. Went in to see her son on a visit. She decided to be cordial and respectful to the parents of her, of her son-in-law, as well as her son-in-law, Gary Walker, to be cordial, to say hello, to shake a hand, to give a hug, uh, all the actions of affection And a guard decides, on the behest of Gary Walker's father, to come over and and over-exaggerate a situation. But it didn't stop there. They begin to get into the face of Pastor Rosebanks, to talk to her as if she was a two-year-old, to disrespect her. But what you didn't know is that this is nothing new in the saga of the IRP-6. They have targeted Pastor Rose Banks from day one in regards to mistreatment, to unfairness. Not only Pastor Banks, she's the the centerpiece, but her family, the family members, the friends of these six men. The abuse continues. Cliff, when we talk about this in regards to Pastor Banks, as she explained earlier, this guard was aggressive. He was very combative. For no reason, without cause, you attack a 71-year-old woman who's visiting her son in a prison. How do, how do you even – I'll tell you what. There's a few ways that's handled what they call streetwise. When you disrespect a woman, a mother,
1: right. there's a – Cliff, your thoughts. It's it's absolutely outrageous. Well, and the thing is, you know, I was I was right there and I'm looking at it and I'm I'm thinking, you know, here, here's this uh Lieutenant Campbell who came over from another other facility. He comes over, and the first thing you think is, how is it that your first your first action is to start barking out uh all these things, you know, this is my facility, what I perceive as reality. The fact is there was no professionalism there. And, and, and the, uh, I mean, these are, these are threats, uh, Absolutely. uh trying to indem- intimidate. I mean, you're talking about being treated like an inmate and, and we told we are not inmates. You don't get up in uh, a person who's a visitor. You don't get up in their face. You don't put their, your finger in their face. You don't hold your hand up and take a step toward them as he did to Pastor Banks. It's like, who do you think you are and who do you who do you think we are we we had uh met with with the former uh warden there before and he said you know it's very important and we appreciate that you guys come out and have been for four years visiting your family members because it's a very important part of you know keeping things on an even keel Uh, They're in the prison to say people who come out and and visit their family members. But when you disrupt that as the correction officer, as the lieutenant of the facility, as the institutional duty officer, you throw things completely out of whack. Because now you have the inmates who already feel like uh, you're oppressing them as a as a facilities officer. And now you're taking things out on my family. Now you're in my mother's face, well, and you're you're talking harsh, and you're trying to intimidate. And I mean, these are these are threats. When he tells her, no, you're going to listen to what I say, with his finger in her face, taking a step toward her, the same type of uh, intimidative acts that they that they uh, do to the inmates to so-called quote-unquote keep them under control. And just to experience it is it it's like okay, our this, this is. What I perceived as a threat, and, and I mean uh, the people who are out there out there listening, I'm not a small guy. I'm I'm six five. I weigh about 240 pounds. So for 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 me to per- perceive a person that's trying to uh, you know threaten someone, it takes more than just okay, well my my uh, you know just my opinion is off. But to see this happening to you know to a woman, a pastor, you're talking about 71 years old. And here's a man trying to jump in her face. And it's like, where's your professionalism to say, let me just explain these things to you? And then the whole situation could have been squashed.
6: It could have been squashed. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks. Uh, and make no mistake about it. Pastor Banks carries herself very well, very professional, uh, is going to be the absolute example of right, but is not absolutely not going to let people step on her. Uh, in situations like that. I'll tell you what, and I'll just say this to throw in for good measure. Uh, pastor Bank, 71 years old, doesn't look a day over 50. That's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> the issue is is that this type of abuse, I don't care if you're 20, if you're 35, whatever age you are, it's called human decency and respect. You don't mistreat, you don't attack a pastor uh, who is a community leader and teaches her parishioners to respect you at your, at your job. And you come out and show this type of disrespect. Uh, I guarantee you this is not a dead issue by a long shot. AJC Radio and the Just Cause will continue uh, to address this issue to, and take it to whatever level it must be taken to. Uh, Lisa, the perpetrators of justice of the IRP6, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker,
4: who are the perpetrators of justice? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI agent Robert Mowen, former federal agent John Epke, former federal agent Gary Hillberry, attorney Thomas Goodread, attorney Clifford Barnard, attorney Thomas Richard, attorney Richard, I'm sorry, Robert Berger, attorney Mitchell Baker, attorney Boston Stanton Jr., attorney Rick Kornfeld, attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman.
6: And thank you for that. Look, folks, if you're wondering who that list is, they are the perpetrators. If you know anything think about a perpetrator, there's, there's someone going through the motion, uh, and they're absolutely not real. These are perpetrators of justice. They have the appearance, but I guarantee you, look them up. Uh, they're as crooked as they come, and we will expose that corruption. On a, on a continual basis here on AJC Radio. Folks, definitely go to our, our website, AJCRadio.com. You can listen to this show. Uh, again, we thank our guest, uh, Mr. Gary York, uh, for joining us tonight. Also, uh, T.J. Parcell uh, doing some things out there to make a huge difference uh, in this country. And uh, we salute them.
1: Thanks for taking time and joining us tonight. Cliff? I want to say thanks to our production crew? Uh, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson helping out Ill Skill's girl in the control room, making sure we hear what you have to say. Also, to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you as our listeners. I want to say thank you to the truth we heard from her tonight. We appreciate everything that you have to say. And thank you for that, folks. Join
6: us next time. Coming up Thursday on our show, we highlight a special spotlight on Capitol Hill, Congresswoman, Uh, Karen Bass, and Congressman Tom Marino. The uh, Foster Care Initiative Shadow Day kicks off next week in Washington, D.C. AJC Radio will be there for the action. Folks, join us for that special show Thursday as we get ready for an event that is making a huge difference across this land. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. For AJC Radio, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC Radio team. Good night.
4: Good night. Good night, everyone.
11: Good night. Um, well, two former inmates filed a lawsuit against the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office and a former correctional officer. This is that former correctional officer, 28-year-old Belvin Cheryl. A judge recently sentenced him to 18 months in prison for having sex with an inmate, and is requiring Cheryl to register. Two women also want Cheryl and the Sheriff's Office to pay punitive damages for what they claim the former correctional officer did to them. ABC News Force Nikki Gaskins has our story tonight.
2: According to this lawsuit, on December 11, 2009, Belvin and Cheryl sexually assaulted two female inmates inside the Georgetown County Detention Center. A spokesperson for the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office says Sled did investigate claims that Cheryl had sexual relations with female inmates inside the jail thorough investigation. Cheryl was fired after it was discovered that he sent a letter to a female inmate apologizing for the incident. In the lawsuit, two former female inmates claimed the ex-guard entered their jail cell and ordered them to perform a sex act on him. It goes on to state that the woman repeatedly pushed the panic button. However, it appeared to be broken. The woman claim at no time during these incidents did any other employee with the sheriff's office or detention center intervene to take any actions to protect them. As a result of Cheryl's actions, the woman's attorney says they've suffered emotional and physical harm. Now we did reach out to attorney Harry Oxner. He is representing the two women in this case. However, he says he has no comment on the current lawsuit. Reporting in Georgetown, Nikki Gaskins, ABC News 4. All
11: right, Nikki, and Cheryl has filed... Georgetown County Clerk of Court denying, quote, each and every allegation.